Greetings, folks. This is Pastor Christopher here with you again as we continue our journey. You are listening to Second Mile, a podcast of Project 516, where we reflect on where the journey has taken us on the trail, talk with people who are finding their own time apart, or those who have that traveled wisdom to share with us together. The road goes ever on, to quote from Tolkien, and having someone alongside you as you walk that second mile can make all the difference. This segment of Second Mile walks with a couple of pastors who have committed to hiking a week's worth of miles on the Appalachian Trail with their friends and family. Starting at the southern terminus in Georgia, we'll be heading northbound, hopefully to the Unicoi Gap. Well, seeing as how this is a trip planned from the southern terminus of the Appalachian Trail, this seems like a pretty good place to begin. Uh, we're taking, let's see, we're taking two pastors this time with us and, and also some some civilians. <laughs> um, it's an interesting time. We talked a little bit before the trip started about how many folks were kind of going through different kinds of transitions and things in their lives, different things that um, people were either dealing with emotionally or dealing with physically. Um, it's been about... Let's let's just let's say it. It has to be said, but it's been about uh, nine years uh, since any of us have done any any major hiking uh, like what we're supposed to be doing uh, this coming week. We've got um, we've got some of us who did kind of a pre-trip um, actually might write a little bit about that and you might be able to uh, check that out. But uh, and some of us are, I think all of us that are on this trip actually were on a trip last year as well that ended in a little bit of tragedy. Uh, we had somebody slide off the side of a mountain uh, last year. So we were doing a, a stint in Virginia and we had somebody who was older on the trip and uh, in their 60s and they got tired and ended up just sliding right off the hill. Uh, luckily, they were not seriously injured, but we didn't know that at the time. So we uh, ended up calling emergency services who this was the first time any of us had ever called emergency services um, on the trail, <laughs> actually on the trail out in the wilderness. And <clears throat> I have to say it was pretty amazing. It was absolutely incredible the way that they reacted, their response time, um, the way they kind of assessed things when they got there. But the long and short of that story is that we ended up carrying uh, that guy down the mountain for three hours on a hardback stretcher. <clears throat> and um, it was pretty it was pretty unbelievable. It was a harrowing experience to uh, physically carry someone out of the woods uh, and so that was the last trip many of us took. <laughs> um, so we're going to we're going to uh, give it a, a fresh start. We're starting down uh, from Springer Mountain in Georgia, which if you have never been there, um, is a pretty great place. It's a it's a nice um, it's a nice little leg of the Appalachian Trail. There's there's not uh, there's not a whole lot in Georgia. You can you can 
basically knock it out in a couple of weeks. But um, one of the things is the beginning. So uh, the Springer uh, start is just a parking lot. And it's it's also I've, I've done that section before and, it, and it's a little misleading because you can start you can park or be dropped off there in the lot and just start hiking and be like, all right, here we go. We're, we're northbound and uh, actually miss the actual start <laughs> of the trail, which is actually about a mile and a half or so behind you. So you have to go south to go north, which is a great little uh uh, saying, I guess, for maybe your life in the trailer, <laughs> however things might might be happening. Um, but yeah, so we um, we actually didn't do that. We 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 went ahead and started off. Uh, we got started a little bit late, um, just because people were driving in. We um, uh, uh, Brian and I drove in from Raleigh, and uh, the, the other two guys, uh, Brandon and David ended up driving in from the Atlanta airport. Actually, not the Atlanta airport. They got a hotel. So, But a hotel near the airport there in Atlanta, and they were driving in too. So we were all kind of driving and meeting there, and then we had to rearrange the cars. We left one car at Unicoi Gap where we were going to stop, and um, left the other car there at the Springer lot. So we just planned. We just said, well, we'll come back for the car, and we'll hike it then. So started out. It was really great. It's interesting, though, um, at the beginning of a trip, you do, you have this, you have this, uh, <laughs> I don't want to call it optimism, uh, because I've, I've done at this point, I think I've done about, uh, eight or 900 miles on the Appalachian trail and side trails and things like that. But overnight, overnight hiking and camping, um, trail camping. And with that, kind of experience comes the knowledge that things are inevitably going to go wrong. They're just going to go wrong. You know, out of that, out of those hundreds of miles uh, that I've hiked, there have been uh, many of them. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to chance a percentage, but I'd say a large percentage of those hikes <laughs> have uh, ended in plans B, C, D, or E. Um, which will often, uh, my wife jokes, like, you know, we, we, we leave, we go out on a trip. She'll be like, all right, we'll enjoy, uh, you know, steaks and staying at a hotel. <laughs> um, because a lot of times that's what happens, but that's, you know, that's part of it too. Um, being able to stay flexible and, and, and do something a little bit different. So there's a little bit of anxiety that approaches, you know, you're going off, uh, kind of into the unknown and, um, it's it's fascinating to me, but the the four of us that are going this time, our family backgrounds are kind of anxiety ridden. You know, we're uh, we are the folks who are kind of raising the next generation of kids who are going to be, you know, the kids that think outdoor life is normal and it's just whatever. You know, um, I have a seven year old daughter and she goes. Uh, trail camping with us and she loves it. Um, lucky for me. <laughs> um, she told me last time we went, uh, out, we did a little three mile stint and set up camp and spent the night and did a little three and a half mile back. Um, and she said, my favorite part of hiking is when we stop and camp. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think, I think that's kind of the consensus outside of the views and, and, you know, just getting the fresh air. I, I, I think everyone's favorite part is the stopping 
and and the breaking camp and having the campfire and and eating together and all all those kinds of things. So, uh, but she's on track. So this 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 generation, her generation, they're going to grow up thinking this is normal. Uh, we all the all the guys that are going on this trip, we all grew up in households that don't understand what we're doing uh, by and large. Um, I think Brian's parents might have a little bit better understanding, but I, I don't I don't think so. Uh, everybody else is kind of like, well, you go outside to hunt. But why would you go outside to stay? You know, <laughs> uh, my dad, especially I'll speak from my own experience. But every time, every time I go and I've been hiking um, and doing this for about, gosh, I want to say 10 or 12 years now at this point. And every time I go to this day, he still asks the same questions, which are, why are you doing this? Why? Why would you want to go into the woods? <laughs> why on earth? It's just it's completely out of his wheelhouse to understand why, why we do this. And that's a valid question. Why do we do this? Um, we're, we're starting this, uh, uh, podcast and, um, uh, the, uh, project 516. Um, one of the biggest reasons we do it is to rejuvenate, um, lots of us that are on this trip, um, uh, two of us, especially the, the two pastors, David and I, um, we found a place of rejuvenation out in the wilderness. Um, and like, like it says in Luke five 16, we'll try not to mention this too much, uh, but, um, Jesus went out several times, uh, into the wilderness to seek God, to pray, to find solace, to be apart from everything else, uh, that Jesus, Jesus was doing. I, and that's, that's kind of fascinating to me. That's one of those small little pieces of the Bible and of, of the story of Christ and the story of Jesus Christ that really, uh, sticks with me because here is someone doing what we Except generally, even if you're not a Christian or even if you don't think that um, Jesus rose from the dead or any of those things, the historic Jesus, here's this person doing these good things. You know, uh, Jesus is doing good things. He's talking about peace. He's talking about people getting together. He he sits with people who are on the fringes of society. He says to the people that are in power, hey, if you're in power, you need to you need to find a way to reconcile with these people that are on the fringes of society, uh, the rich and the wealthy people. Uh, Jesus talks about and says, you know, you've got to have a new understanding of what life is really all about. Um, the religious authority, uh, Jesus goes up against them because they are hurting people for their own kind of power struggle. So, you know, we can basically historic Jesus, people all across many different places agree Jesus was a decent fella. You know, he was doing good stuff. And yet in the midst of doing all that good stuff, Jesus still makes a point to get out of there and to leave and to go out into the wilderness um, alone or with, you know, maybe a few people or something like that. So that's, that's important because no matter what we do, no matter what our job is, no matter what our, our calling is, if we're pastors, if we're lay people, if we're just hanging out, uh, if we're bartenders, regardless of what we do, generally, people are trying to do good things. We're trying to do good work. And we, we get lost in that good work, though, sometimes. 
I think we we say, well, I'm doing good work, so the good work should feed me, the good work should uh, benefit me, it should empower me, it should make me feel good, um, and that's not always the case. And sometimes what happens is we get into doing the good work and we get so lost in doing the good work and we we don't feel happy or fulfilled or perfect all of the time. And so we beat up on ourselves. We say, well, there must be something wrong with the work that I'm doing. There must be, I must not be doing good enough work. And we up the ante and we push it, we push it, we push it. We end up burning ourselves out or choosing new careers or giving up entirely or doing any number of, of coping mechanisms to help ourselves make it through. But maybe the thing we don't do is accept that even in doing good work, you still need to take a step away. You still need to go out into the wilderness. You still need to have those meditative places in life where you step back. And for us, uh, for a lot of us going on this trip and, and on some of the other trips we have planned, that's what trail camping is. That's what going out into uh, this kind of wilderness is like for us. Regardless, you know, we've got um, a guy who is a, a water scientist, another guy who works on uh, computer systems and security systems and things like that. We, you know, there's, there's lots of different folks who are, who are finding this place and you meet them all over the trail. You know, you meet, you know, you, know, you meet uh, uh, CPAs and uh, creative people. You know, it's, it's the full spectrum of folks that have found out that going out into the wilderness is something good. Is something It does something positive to our lives. It does something positive to our spirits. So that's a big part of what we're looking forward to, I know, as we, as we start out the trip. And I know that I'm also kind of dragging my feet. Uh, you know, looking, looking back, I'm dragging my feet. I'm wanting, to, I'm wanting to experience a little bit more of the road trip as we drive down, which is also kind of nice and maybe a little bit of a toe in the water of the wilderness experience. But I know that the, the trip is also going to be rough, but we're, we're still looking forward to it. We had our first night as we got to our campsite. And it's also interesting to me the kinds of personality pieces that come out in a very glaring way. Um, not to mention just, you know, the, the efforts of our own bodies. Like I'm a healthy person. You get out on the trail for four or five or six miles. And you're like, Oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not a healthy person <laughs> or not as healthy as I could be. Um, but yeah, personality things come out too. It's just interesting. The, you see people that are driven to achieve a goal, to set a goal, and to achieve that goal. Like we said, we're going to do X number of miles. We've got to do X number of miles. Um, and there's other folks like me who, you know, I do a lot of uh, hammock camping. That's, that's kind of my, my thing has been for a long, long time. I do, I do tent camping when I'm with the family, but I do hammock camping when I'm out alone. And have had a couple different systems, and we can talk about that some later. But I love hammock camping. One of the best things I love about hammock camping is the utter freedom that it affords you. Like you don't really even have to find a good site 
to camp. You know, you, you, when you when you're uh, when you have a tent with you, even if it's just a solo tent or a bivy a bivy tent or a bivy sack or something like that, you're still looking for that ground, that that nice flattish ground that's a little bit maybe spongy, maybe has some leaves, a little comfortable. Um, that's always going to be important for you to have a good night, for you to hike the next day. But the the hammock, you don't have to do that. There are other downsides of the hammock, but uh, you don't have to do that. So when I hike, I think it's I think it's affected my brain a little bit. So when I hike, I'm just I don't care. You know, I'll just hike for as long as I possibly can, and then just like throw everything up in a tree, um, make a little make a little uh, place underneath the hammock, cook some dinner, head off to bed. The end. Um, I don't have to have a campfire. I don't have to have a flat place. I don't have to have enough ground. Um, so, so we're all in this little, uh, this little quartet of folks. And so we're looking for our first campsite for the night. Uh, and we're in bear country when you're down in Georgia in the Appalachian mountains, you're in bear country. And so one of the reasons that I know, uh, folks were kind of driven to get to certain places was because we had to have bear protection. Um, and none of us really brought any. <laughs> uh, so we just had our normal um, uh, dinner sacks and stuff like that. Um, I have a I have a waterproof container that I use as a bear bag, um, but it's not it's not actually bear rated as they sell that stuff. You know, they sell bear canisters um, that they definitely suggest you use when you're doing like the Pacific uh, trails. Um but for us over here on the eastern coast, we do uh, brown bears. And so there's just there's certain sections where, where you need to be more careful where the bears are more active. And this trip, the only place we heard about bears being active was at the Springer parking lot, which, OK, so that's that's great. Just as long as you park and roll up your windows. Although we did realize uh, while we were on the trail that Brian left uh, his sandwich from lunch in in the car, which is just going to smell awesome after uh, a few days that being out of the trail. We'll get back to that car. That'll be great. It'll be just mayonnaise and lunch meat. You know, I told him it's if that's if a bear doesn't smash a window to get into it. So, um, yeah, so we're looking for bear bags or uh, bear containers and things. And there are some campsites along the trail that have that. So we had to get to a certain spot on this on this first leg of the journey first day we got there at i think two o'clock to the uh, parking lot so we we hoofed it we hoofed it pretty fast we did about a mile and a half or so in an hour or per hour rather uh till we got to the evening um so we got to our place and i was ready to find a campsite and and sack it out but uh david david's a better man than me and so he wanted to find just the right site uh, and kept hiking down, down, down further into the into the little gorge where the campsites were. And of course, me, I'm I'm I love being out there, but I don't know if it's just, you know, maybe being older or not as healthy as I, as I thought I was not doing enough um, uh, CrossFit ahead of time. But every every step we took down into that place on the blue trail was just one more step we had to take out the next morning. So uh, I needed to check my my uh, um, my spirit a little bit and realize, you know, where I am to say, like, am I already like kind of not looking forward to 
hiking the next day. Well, what can I, what can I do about that? How can I reconnoiter a little bit? Um, but yeah, so we found, we found a better site. David found a better site uh, for everybody. We had a great campfire. And that's the other thing that I really look forward to, especially on the first few days of, of camping and hiking out is, like my daughter says, the campsite, sitting around the fire, uh, having, those, having your meal together, talking, uh, being able to share with one another. And I think that's a big part of um, maybe what Jesus was doing in, in the wilderness when he went out. And I think it's something that we all do. We look for connection. We look for a way to uh, connect with one another, to, to re-energize the understanding that we belong to one another, um, kind of finding our place again with each other. And uh, like I said, we come from a, a couple different walks of life. And so the belonging is interesting. It doesn't come necessarily even from a deep faith uh, practice that we all share. Um, cause we were kind of all over the spectrum on, you know, some of us are working for the mother church <laughs> and some of us, some of us tend some, some of us are still looking for church. Um, you know, you, you hike with people who aren't looking <laughs> for, for church, have no interest in it. Um, but you get out on the trail, you sit around the campfire, you listen to the sounds of the evening. You feel the quiet and the cool air kind of come behind the close of the day as the sun sets. And you realize, you know, there's something else. There's something else connecting us. There's a, a peacefulness that we can share that can connect us. There's um, uh, a deep care just for people. There's a deep care for the wilderness, for the wild places that we know, in at least in some way, you, you've got to know that they're diminishing, that they're fading um, and so that is, that's another big part of it. In addition to those rituals, in addition to having that little piece of chocolate at the end of the night, um, and, and heading off to bed, swaying gently in the hammock. It's that peace that you share with other people. It's those little moments that connect us together that I think really make the time in the wilderness a valuable thing. Before we close this, I just want to share one more of my really most favorite moments that happens almost every time uh, I go I go hiking and, and camping, and that's the the uh, the, the midnight uh, biological break, <laughs> the bio break that you have to take, usually in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, you're drinking water all day, you're hiking a lot, um, so I'll often get up in the middle of the night take that uh, essential break for, for your bodily fluids. And that's always this just really magical spiritual time. You know, I have to, I have to kind of flip out of my hammock. Um, there's no zippers to kind of break that, that quiet silence. Um, I slip on a pair of flip flops and I, I kind of just, stumble around. I, I don't even usually use my headlamp because there's always, almost always enough starlight, or even if it's cloudy, there's reflected starlight or, or, or moonlight kind of peeking through that can, that can show you your way. And, you know, you just kind of make your way over, find a tree, find a, find a place and just looking up at the stars, feeling the, the coolness of the night kind of seep in, listening to some of those owls or coyotes that are off in the distance or, kind of, kind of scurrying around. 
it is a, a beautiful moment of kind of connection to all of creation that we don't get a lot of. You know, we're inside our houses, we're inside apartments, motels, hotels, we're doing our thing, we're making making work, we're doing our jobs, and uh, we don't get a lot of those moments to just have that really singular uh, connective tissue uh, by ourselves in that uh, peaceful, peaceful moment. So that's one of my favorite, favorite spots. We'll, we'll catch up with you on uh, what's going on on day two, and we'll see you then. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Second Mile, a podcast of Project 516. Project 516 is a ministry which seeks to support clergy and lay people as they traverse some of the hardest parts of their lives. In the book of Luke, chapter 5, verse 16, it says that Jesus often walked away from the crowds to seek God and rejuvenate in the wilderness. Project 516 helps hold you accountable, supplies you with resources and community, and clears the way for you to rejuvenate the spiritual path of your life. Let's journey together. To find out more about Project 516, visit us on the web at project516.org or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Luke 516.